0: And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's read the last verse together. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, good to see all of you in worship together. I have a question, and I want you to ask your neighbor this. Um, What is your favorite room? in your house? Like, where do you like to hang out? And, you know, if it's the toilet, hey, it's okay, you know? um, If it's the dining room or the kitchen, but take a moment, um, and maybe with someone you're not related to, talk about that real quick. What is your favorite room or place in your house? All right, Um, I will kind of interrupt you there as we were talking. Um, I'm sure some of you said... uh, Maybe the kitchen or the garage or um, whatever it is, right? Uh, For a lot of us, it's uh, the meal place, right? You might have this table where um, you eat and you do everything there, right? We have a table in our house and it's always being used, right? So the kids are eating there, doing their homework there. Um, When people come, we just gravitate towards that one area and uh, um, it's kind of, a beat-up table now, there's water marks and you know, stains and dents and stuff, but that's kind of the place, all right? And um, I bring that up here, because today we look at this passage where they have the Last Supper. And we've all heard this. Um, and this section of the Gospels is really the part where we hear often during Easter, or Passion Week, but today as we are progressing through, um, we wanna, I wanted to um, highlight this as we get to the kind of the culmination of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, chapter 13, he's talking to them about his now departure and second coming. And um, they are now um, told to eagerly wait and be ready. And you get to chapter 14 and there is this now um, picture of him. You know, the religious leaders want to kill him. Judas is um, already betraying him. And then there's a woman who gives an alabaster jar of perfume, gives all that she has to Jesus. So you have these very different, right, conflicting views of Christ. Someone's there to give. Someone's there to take. Someone wants to kill. Um, And we see this happening. And in the midst of that, as he is announcing his death, he now has a meal. He announces it through a meal. Um, and he has this Last Supper together, right? And uh, this place here reminds us, and uh, we learned several things about it. It's a place of remembering, right? Today is, we're going to do this again. If you were here last week, we, we had communion, but it's a place of remembering. It's a place of helping us to remember. And even for Jesus and his disciples, it was a place of remembering. It's a place where the covenant is demonstrated, and it's a place of intimacy, right? You see, those three things I want to highlight for us. Um, it's a place of remembering. This year um, is happening during Passover. So it wasn't just random or a coincidence. I think it was uh, divinely planned that at Passover, Jesus is going to now discuss and plan to his death. You know, the Passover happened to the, the Israelites as they were exiting out of um, Uh, Egypt, and the angel passed over, you know, uh, whenever there was blood on the post, the angel of death would pass over. And so they would do this to remember, and so it is during Passover that he gets them together, and they have a time of remembering. You know, the Passover, uh, in the Passover meal, as you you would imagine, um, it wasn't just to eat for the sake of eating, but it was a meal to remember, And so uh, I would imagine it would be somewhat solemn. It would be educational, somewhat emotional. And they would have these four cups of wine. And everyone would drink from the same cup, and you would share this. This wasn't just for the pleasure of drinking, but this was now to have a common experience. And in the four cups, each of them represented uh, a time, a, a, a promise that God had made to the Israelites in um, Exodus 6. So in Exodus 6, we see four promises in chapter, verse 6 through 7. And you could look that up later. But there are four promises that he has. And so each cup was a recollection of the four promises that God has kept with them. You know, the first promise we see is uh, in, in Exodus 6.6, 6, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So they would drink the first cup. It was called the cup of sanctification. And they would pass it around. And they said, this was to remember that he will bring us out. Right. A uh, second thing that they would do is, uh, the second cup is a cup of blessing. And the cup, it was to remember um, When he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. So it was was known as the cup of blessing. And they remember that promise. And they would get to the third cup. And tradition and a lot of scholars tell us that this is the cup that he is now using to demonstrate this. And the third cup is the cup of redemption. It was the promise that was made in Exodus 6, 6, and 7 where he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. There's this redemption And as he's talking about this, and as they are all accustomed to this, he now says, this isn't just something to look back, but he himself is the fulfillment. He himself is the ultimate one who allows death to pass over us forever. And so this happens here, and this gets kind of academic in a way. We say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, What else is interesting is, you remember at the end of his life, where uh, in John 19, uh, he says he's on the cross and he says, I am thirsty. And they bring a sponge and it's filled with wine and vinegar and they give it to him and he drinks. And then he says, it is finished. And so some scholars have said, yeah, that is the fourth cup that he drank. It was the four cups of the Passover and he finishes it on the cross, that it is finished. He fulfills it perfectly. And so it's a place to remember. Um, you know, when I, if you grew up in church... And I grew up in church, and we would have communion, and it was um, a lot of men in, you know, black suits and robes, and they wear gloves, and they would pass out communion. And I remember um, thinking, you know, oh, it's kind of serious, but it was kind of seriously boring, like you know, because I couldn't be a part of it because I wasn't human enough or whatever, you know. And so they would pass it around, and it was just kind of hush hush, and you go through this, uh, and we go through that experience. And say, oh, what, what is that? What? It's a place to remember right? It's a place that we come. Um, uh, But this idea of remembering is not just merely, oh, oh, just remember something. It's like watching a show on the 80s. Oh, I remember that song. It's not just I remember his name, but it's dwelling in a past event that will impact me in this reality today. And the best maybe illustration we know of that is when we celebrate an anniversary, Um, some of you, you know, some of you who are, you know, over way old people, over 45 here, right? Us here uh, in here, you know, like when you look different than your wedding picture, you know, you've had some years. Like I've had someone over recently at my house, one of our sister's. Um, And I can say this, she's at Brea and she came over and she looked at my wedding picture that we had in our downstairs and she goes, oh my gosh, you were so young here, right? I mean, and I was like, what, what? You know, at least lie and just say I look the same. No, your wife looks the same, but you were so young here. I was like, it's because the church members like you, I've aged, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, But if you look at it and you say, boy, I do look different. Um, At that point, the anniversaries start meaning more than just, you know, your first year, second year, third year, you have a meal, Mm, there's nothing really to remember or celebrate. The wedding was just happening, you're still paying for the photographer, and it's just still too fresh, you know, but now it's been a while, right? My in-laws celebrated their 50th anniversary this year, and uh, ever since I got in the picture of their family, my father... Uh, and mother-in-law, they would tell me stories about how they met. So I know it all now, right? I've heard it now for the last twenty-plus years. You know, he moved here to study, and he went to U- the University of Utah, and. He was getting his master's degree, didn't speak English, and he came here all by himself. And then, you know, God arranged to meet this woman that was my mother-in-law, and they went to Korea, met her. They both agreed and got married, and she came here, and it was so scary because she was in Utah, and Utah was scary, and it was snowing, and always the same stories, you know, the 15 freeway. There was no 15 freeway to come to L.A. I heard that, I heard that, I heard that, I heard that, you know, you told me that. But this 50th anniversary, they're going over it again. But each year, as they go over that story, it 's not just the old story; it reinforces their current reality. It says that's the journey we went on, and this is where we 're at. It becomes more meaningful right and, uh, and, and I think about that now, and I talk about it with my wife and I talk about our you know time together you know it 's been almost nineteen years for us, and we talk about you know one of the things we talk about is you remember life before we had these two daughters, and as I vaguely remember like it was this, you know this freedom that we had um, and this bondage we entered into of you know uh I said boy you know the restaurant bills were so cheap it was just two of us um boy life was simple and it's like but we talk about it and boy we spent some time and we built it now when they had come to the uh, to the table it was a place of remembering not just their three years together but it was a time to remember the redemptive history of God all throughout, and that he is now fulfilling this. This is the culmination. It's happening here, and as we come to the table, it's a place for us to remember not just what happened 2,000 years ago and we go through the motions, but it's a place we remember who he is, how that impacts me today, how that promise that he has made changes us today. You know, I think about these times, and it is a dear time. You know, a memory I have just even within our church 10 years. The first year of our church, uh, we met at this little theater in Brea, the Curtis Theater. It's like a performing arts theater, 199 seats and no aisles. No one wanted to sit in the middle. It was really, you know, no one wanted to sit in the front. And anyways, uh, the first time we decided to have communion, we said we need to have communion. And there were things that weren't well planned, right? I remember going and saying, well, we'll. we'll We'll, we'll buy this big, mu- uh, like a jug. We'll put the grape juice in it, and everyone could dip some bread and eat it. And that was our communion. We've come a long way, right? Look at this table, tablecloth. Anyway, so it's so nice. But I remember doing that, and for some reason, um, from lack of experience or whatnot, I bought this jug. And the jug was, it it holds about a gallon, right? I think it's more for candles, not like wine, unless you have a problem. You you know, no one's going to drink. It it was this big. And the top of it, it would just really narrow up, and then it would open up again. So um, in order for someone to actually dip their bread, we had to fill this thing all the way to the top. Um, And really, it was like a full big jug of juice, and we filled it to the top. And then we did the other one, and then Pastor John was there, and we had another pastor, and we said, you guys have to hold it in the aisles while everyone comes up and does this. Now, we didn't think about any of this, um, and he's holding it, and I look over, Pastor John at that time was a lot younger and stronger, so he was okay. The other pastor, Pastor James we had, wasn't as strong, and he was holding this, and I could see now the trembling on the, it's like, I was like, whoa, is there an earthquake? What's going on? And the, and the juice is shaking, and he's shaking, and he's turning red, and it's getting closer to his body because he can't hold it. And now everyone has to get into that uncomfortable, whoa, I'm too close to you. Um, and I remember thinking, who bought that cup? And it was me, right? And so uh, it just, and we figured a few things out along the way, along the years. Use a table, right, and the um, Let's spend a little money and buy these things. And uh, just a place to remember. More than just uh, fond memories, it's a place we remember the grace of Christ. But it's also a place of covenant. So it's a place where, man, I enter into, and he introduces this new covenant. You know, the Bible has two testaments. The word testament means covenants, right? And this is the covenant that we have um, and he introduces, he says in verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so he points this out here that the wine we take, the blood that is shed is this blood covenant. It's interesting. Uh, uh, the commentators talk about this, but there is a word for covenant. There's two different words for covenant. Uh, and one word that is used here is describing a one-way covenant. It's a covenant where there is a giver and there is a taker. There is someone that is in power and there is someone who is helpless. And so the covenant relationship is maybe like a, a parent-child, right? Um, and says, I will help you. And it's that kind of covenant. Another word that's used, that's, that's in... Um, Uh, that could have been used is an idea of two equals coming to a covenant. You know, when you go buy a car, when you go buy a house, your contract at work, whatever it is, it's two kind of equals, two people with power. But the word that's used here, it's a word of covenant where one person is saying, I'm going to give this all to you, you just receive it. It's a one-way covenant. And that is what we see here. And this blood covenant that we see, um, it's illustrated in Genesis 15, In Genesis 15, um, Abraham, or Abram at that point, is called by God, and he enters into a covenant relationship. You know, I will be your God, you will be my people, and he enters into this covenant relationship. What he does, and we see in uh, Genesis 15, 9, he says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and he brought them all, cut them in half, and laid them half over against the other Um, Now, so the picture we get in the blood covenant is they would take an animal and they would have to cut it in half and they would lay each half down and there would be this little walkway or aisle between the two halves of the animals and the parties of the covenant would walk through the two halves and that would be now a visual, a tangible picture that if you don't keep up with your covenant, you will end up like this animal. And you would imagine cutting a cow in half, and it wasn't in some discreet way at some butcher shop, they had to bring out their knife and spend hours hacking away at a cow. And you would imagine the blood and the guts are everywhere. The smell is everywhere. It is going into your face, into your mouth. And you are cutting this and you lay this all down. And it tells us in Genesis 15, verse 17 and on. Abraham, it gets dark. Abraham falls into a deep sleep. He wakes up to see a a fire representing God's presence going between the animals. It wasn't Abraham himself. He was supposed to be the one that goes through and says, God, if I don't fulfill my end, I will now end up like this. But God himself walks through the middle of these animals. And so it's God himself is the provider, and he says, if you don't do this, the punishment, I take up the p- punishment as well. And this is the blood covenant. So when Jesus says, here is the wine, and he passes around the wine of the covenant, he's saying, you're entering into a covenant and I will start, and I will finish the covenant. I will make sure it comes to an end. He is the giver. We're just the recipients, and he fulfills it to the end. Promises like this are hard to come by. There's a story recently in the Washington Times of a 75-year-old lady named Harriet uh, Friedkin, uh, Harriet Friedkin, She's 75, and she has multiple sclerosis. She cannot move her hands or arms and cannot get around. She found out 40 years ago that she had this terrible uh, disease. And as the years went on, she started losing a little bit more, a little bit more of her, um, you know, uh, abilities. And then um, 21 years ago, she couldn't get out. She couldn't move. She couldn't do anything. A group of her friends got together 21 years ago. Um, and they decided to, in 1996, they said, from this moment on, one of us are going to come see you every day. Since you can't come see us, we're going to come see you. And a group of 12 ladies bonded together, and they started to visit her every day. And this ended up in the news because for 21 years, they haven't missed a day. And one of them showed up, shows up every day. And they talk about how certain days one of them would come and give them a massage. And certain days one of them would come and try to take her out to a restaurant. Uh, Mondays is her favorite days. A group of them would come and they would play cards and bridge and they would have their time together. One of them was designated to hold the cards for her. And they would have these times. As they started meeting, they wanted to give themselves a name and they called themselves Harriet's Harem. And they would come around her and they would spend time with her. And over the 21 years, the 12 shrank to nine. Some of them moved away, some of them quit, some of them died. But these elderly ladies in their 70s and 80s, still today, they come every day. The Schedule goes out and they show up. The promise of God, the covenant of God in our lives. He's there whether you feel like it or not. Um, he's there whether you know it or not whether you behave like it or not he starts and he finishes what he has started and that is um, something that we have to grasp and uh, really let that sink in I cannot lose my status in heaven I cannot lose my favor with God Mm, he's still there And I might have lived like an atheist this last, whole you know, year, and I might have never even said a prayer, but I come and God is still there. The covenant is still there because he cannot go against himself. And isn't that what makes the grace of God so amazing? Because it is tempting for us to say, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to pray hard. I'm going to work hard. And boy, God is going to think I'm acceptable because I do so many good things. No, that's, Not what we see here. It's his promise. And the last thing we see is that this is a a place of intimate friendship here. Uh, The table represented friendship in those days. Maybe it does even now, right? Um, But to have an intimate friendship. So to invite someone over to your house and have a meal, it was a public declaration that we are close, that we are one. Um, One of the commentators says that if you um, eat together in this way, that you are telling people that you are sharing in that person's destiny, whether it's good or bad. Like, I'm with you. I'm your friend, right? And I'm here with you. Um, And they met at the upper room. You would imagine a box on top of a bigger box. That's what the upper room was. And the upper room was kind of the private room. The upper room was where, um, you know, they would store their items. The upper room was a place where uh, rabbis would come and teach the children. It was kind of a, a place where guests maybe wouldn't come. But he goes to the upper room and he gathers now the disciples around the table. Remember, uh, they were so concerned about who you eat with because that represented who you are close to. Like in Luke 7:34. 34, uh, Jesus is accused by the religious leaders of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they say, look at him. He eats with them and he drinks wine with them. He is a glutton. He's a drunkard. It's because he eats with these people. When he calls Matthew, he eats with them. When he calls Achaeus, he eats with them. And when he calls to the table the disciples, one of them is already betraying him. Peter is going to not keep his word. He's going to repent and come back. There's even a, a, a couple of verses later, it tells us of a, a, who we think might be Mark, the author. But he says a young man was naked and he run, runs away. Well, this is part of the Bible we don't see. But some have said it's probably Mark himself, that he was kind of looking and he runs away when everyone comes. Um, and so we see this here. It's a place of intimacy, and we come. And what does it tell us in verse twenty? He took a cup. They drink from the same cup. They pass around the same cup and they take a swig out of it. Now think about it. Um, how many people on this earth has uh, the green light to take whatever you're drinking and just take it and just take a drink? Like how many people really? Think about it. Um, maybe when you were a teenager, friends and they could do that. But now as a grown up, I'm like hey, you know, get your own drink. You know, like, I don't want anyone taking my Starbucks, um, and I don't like that, you know? Um, And so I'm like, hey, just let me have my own, and I'll let you have your own. And there's probably three people that could do that to me, right? And I'm okay, my wife and my two kids, right? And that's about it. And maybe that's like that for a lot of you. And you probably don't even like that, right? Like, why are you taking my coffee? Like, there's more there, Um, you know? uh, But this is a picture, a place of intimacy, a place of friendship, and we come and we come not because we are worthy, but because he's worthy, and he is so gracious, and he says, "Call you friends now." Two takeaways from this. One is as you come, today we're going to have communion right after I pray. Um, and I hope today's communion will be extra special for us. But as you come, I hope that you would find um, the Lord. it's not like he appears here, um, no, the, but that this meal, uh, this communion would be a special time for you um, that you would find your soul 's fulfillment that if I come and I remember the covenant, boy, uh, I walk away inspired and changed um, isaiah twenty five six and this is the picture of you know God keeps talking about the future feast, and this is one picture, and I love the details of this. And your mouth will water as I read these verses. It says, "On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined." And you're like, this sounds like a you know a fancy restaurant somewhere, right? But there's this picture of coming eat and be filled. And the second thing is people who have received much, I want to invite you to invite others to your table. Is your table just for the exclusive few? Or do sinners, are they able to come, the different people, the people who may not give back, people like Peter and people even that's against you, like Judas, and they come to your table in a way. And you open up your life or your table to them. And you may not get anything back from them, but you say, boy, I opened this up for you. What does that look like? Romans fifteen seven says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we open up our tables in this way. So I want to pray for us. And after that, I'm going to ask Pastor John to come up and the worship team to come up. And they're going to lead us in a communion time. Um, And I hope that it would be a very special time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for the covenant that we have and a time where our remembrance can be a place of um, solidifying our present experience with you. God, so we ask you bless our time here. God, help us to approach the table in a humble manner with gratitude. God, we have so much to give thanks for. We thank you for inviting us into this intimate space. God, help us to open our lives to those around us as well, as you have welcomed us. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.